Welcome back to New Rockstars, I'm Eric Voss, and Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, aimed to interweave mystery, romance, and war, and failing those drowned us in fan service. As a grade schooler, did I understand the motives of Count Dooku? Nope. But did I buy a Dooku lightsaber? Yep. As I've been re-watching all the Star Wars films leading up to the release of The Rise of Skywalker, I've discovered that the prequels, and it seems all of the films actually, are a story about one man and one man only. Sheev Palpatine, aka Darth Sidious, aka the Emperor. Everything he loved and didn't love about Attack of the Clones was a result of old Sheev's schemes. Let's analyze this movie beat for beat for the evidence and other interesting details that you may have overlooked. And thanks to Privacy.com for sponsoring this episode. If you sign up now at Privacy.com slash New Rockstars, you can get $5 today to use on any purchase online for free. Okay, the opening crawl unveils the title, Attack of the Clones, foretelling the backstory hinted at in the original Star Wars film. General Kenobi, years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars. The clones of this film are the clone troopers of the Army of the Republic which would lead to the enemy Imperial Stormtroopers during the Galactic Civil War. But is this title actually referring to a more discreet clone attack that we didn't realize? I'll explain how later. The film opens with an assassination attempt on now-Senator Padme Amidala. George Lucas based this fictional political drama on real-world history, and the way this assassination attempt lights the fuse that leads to the rapid militarization and Palpatine's dictatorship parallels the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which sparked World War I, also the burning of the German Reichstag in 1933, which Adolf Hitler used as the basis to seize absolute control of Germany. This was carried out by assassin Zam Wessel, working for Jango Fett, working for Count Dooku, working for Sidious. Always get your assistant's assistant assistant to do your dirty work for you. This conspiracy is presented as a mystery that unfolds throughout the film, but like any great episode of SVU, the man behind the curtain is revealed right away. Master Yoda, do you think it will really come to war? Under the guise of asking for counsel, Palpatine is testing Yoda here. He's sizing up the perception abilities of the Jedi High Council. We learn later in this film that all the Jedi have actually grown weaker and naive over the years. I think it is time we informed the Senate that our ability to use the Force is diminished. And here, the Dark Lord of the Sith is confirming the blindness of his enemies. Yoda was redesigned in the Attack of the Clones as a CGI character after complaints that his puppet form in The Phantom Menace looked a bit off. George Lucas and designer Rob Coleman used the original puppet form from The Empire Strikes back as a basis, restoring the character's oldness and soreness and frigidity, and how the ears should jiggle just a little bit when he moves his head. The Jedi's naivete is further underlined in their defense of Dooku. I think the Count Dooku is behind it. He is a political idealist, not a murderer. You know, my lady, Count Dooku was once a Jedi. He couldn't assassinate anyone. It's not in his character. Oh, Sam Jackson, if only you could have the guard of your other character. Last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye. Mace Windu's pride over the incorruptible character of Jedi foreshadows his blind spot to Anakin's upcoming turn. Palpatine further sets things into motion by recommending Padme receive Jedi bodyguard protection from Obi-Wan Kenobi, whom he knows is being accompanied by his apprentice Anakin, hoping to distract the most vocal opponent to his army plan, but also distract the young Jedi that he plans to corrupt. Do it for me, milady, please. The thought of losing you is unbearable. And you gotta love that side eye. Palpatine fixes on them as they move forward. Yes, it'll be boinking in no time. And right away, Anakin Skywalker, now played by Aiden Christensen, does not make a good first impression. We will not go through this exercise again, Anakin. And you will pay attention to my lead. Why? 
What? Seconds before this, Obi-Wan and Anakin were laughing it up about falling into nests of gundarks. In the moment Anakin sees Padme, he's all off, dude, hoes before bros. All of these earlier scenes cast a very toxic shadow over Anakin and Padme's romance. Ma, she covered the cameras. I don't think she liked me watching her. Please don't look at me like that. Why not? It makes me feel uncomfortable. You're exactly the way I remember you in my dreams. He's a keeper. George Lucas tried to model Anakin and Padme's wartime romance on the film Dr. Zhivago. He even had Attack of the Clones poster modeled on the Zhivago poster. Both couples are forbidden loves between figures who pose as refugees and run away to country retreats. But while the great romance of Dr. Zhivago is rooted in the difficult moral decisions of the characters, the love between Anakin and Padme really just happens because the script says so. There is no reason an intelligent, driven senator like Padme should fall for a what is he, a bratty monk trainee who insults, belittles, and creeps her out repeatedly. Some have even theorized that the fated quality of their romance was actually part of Palpatine's orchestration, some kind of Sith brainwashing to trap Padme in the sunken place. And that's one way to describe bad dialogue, but I do believe Palpatine intentionally paired Anakin with the female that he first imprinted on after leaving his mother, but more on Sheev's schemes later. They saved Padme from the Kohuns and chased down Zam through Coruscant. You spent as much time practicing your saber techniques as you knew your witch you would rival Master Yoda as a swordsman. This is the first mention that we've ever gotten of Yoda's lightsaber skills, foreshadowing the big reveal in the final act. And as they dive in the bottom left corner of the screen, notice the animator snuck in three TIE fighters pursuing an X-Wing, a nod to Luke's trench run in A New Hope, a dogfight that Anakin's ace piloting skills here are foreshadowing, even if uh, these ships don't yet exist in the Star Wars history. And they chase Zam into a club. Why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? Yes. This place is filled with cameos, including 3PO actor Anthony Daniels, Jar Jar actor Ahmed Best, George Lucas's daughter Katie, Matt Duran, aka Mouse from The Matrix, and the character Mouse designed, the woman in the red dress, actress Fiona Johnson, distracting Anakin in this simulation. In Palpatine's office are these statues. These are the four sages of Duarte, philosophers and lawgivers from the early days of the Republic. In other stories, Palpatine takes particular interest in the hooded figure, Sistros, in which he later hides a Sith lightsaber. And cool attention to detail here, when Padme packs up, you can see repair droids replacing the broken window from the assassination attempt earlier. Obi-Wan's investigation plays out similarly to films like Blade Runner. Obi-Wan, like Harrison Ford's Deckard, unravels a conspiracy about synthetic beings that almost costs him his life and leaves him with questions about the ethics of playing God. The Jedi Archives was modeled on the Long Room in the Trinity College Library in Dublin. But now the busts are those of members of the Star Wars staff, including George Lucas. One of them also is the face of Dooku, which we see in a deleted scene between Obi-Wan and the librarian Jocasta Nu. And the young Jedi who approaches her at the end of the scene is George Lucas's son. He later cameos in Revenge of the Sith, the young Jedi defending Bail Organa. Now, when they go to Naboo, you can see what looks like the Millennium Falcon but really, these are just generic YT-1300 freighters. However, the Falcon does make a cameo in Episode 3. We'll get to that in the next breakdown. R2 trails behind them, showing that he can, in fact, go upstairs. He cannot, however, go downstairs. And his ability to descend the steps in Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi was later justified in headcanon of many of us by R2 using his boosters, revealed later in this film. But before we continue, thanks to Privacy.com for sponsoring this breakdown. Privacy.com is a free service where you use these digital burner cards whenever you shop online. That way, you don't have to use 
use your real credit card info so that way you inevitably decide to sign your life away to a streaming content subscription and then you forget you signed up for it and then they ding you with lightning fast precision you now have a system in place to protect your forgetfulness privacy cards allow you to control the limits on them so that you can avoid handing over the keys to your finances every time you spend money online so for example i've set up an account with privacy and i link my bank account and then i created this card specifically for a monthly netflix subscription payment and for this virtual card i'm going to set the limit just above the subscription amount so that way when i you know move on with my life and i forget what i subscribe to they can't ding me for a second month that i don't want in fact no vendor can overcharge beyond the limit that you set privacy will notify you that they blocked it because the spending limit was already reached See, it's simple and it's fast and it's just really one click. They also offer different plans. There's the free one that lets you create up to 12 cards a month, but also a pro plan where you can get 36 cards a month and 1% cash back on purchases and a team's plan for small businesses. Just head to privacy.com slash new and sign up for an account. And as a special treat for my viewers, new customers will automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase for a limited time only. Yep, that's free money. Just go to privacy.com slash new to sign up now. So Obi-Wan learns that the Kaminoans have been building a clone army at the orders of Jedi Master Sifo Dyas. Originally, Sifo Dyas was written to be a simple alias as Sido Dyas for Darth Sidious, but after a typo in George Lucas's script made it appear as Sifo, Lucas developed a backstory for this new Jedi character that would later be filled in by an episode of The Clone Wars. Please free me, Sifo Dyas. Alive you are. Help me, please. Yoda. I have been imprisoned for so long. Sifo Dyas was shot down by the Pikes, who were hired by Tyrannus slash Dooku, who then took over funding for the clone army with his family's immense wealth. It was actually Sifo Dyas who instructed the cloners to add Order 66 to the clones' control chips as a safeguard against treacherous orders given to the clones. Unfortunately, it would be used in a very dark, ironic way. So these clones were cloned from the bounty hunter Jango Fett, whom Obi-Wan meets, along with the constant stink-faced clone he's raising personally as his son, Boba Fett. Jango, and later Boba's armor, is Mandalorian. Jango was a foundling brought in by the people of Mandalore, and the clone trooper armor is derived from the Mandalorian design. Obi-Wan and Jango fight, and as Jango escapes in his ship, Slave One, later Boba Fett's ship, he bumps his head on the door. <laughs> callback to the stormtrooper famously bumping his head on the Death Star in A New Hope. Take over. Meanwhile, on Naboo, this happens. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Also this. People don't always agree. Well, then they should be made to. Sounds an awful lot like a dictatorship to me. Well, if it works. Also this? <laughs> wow. How is that last one the weirdest? During all this, Anakin's suffering nightmares about his mother, Shmi. So they return to Tatooine. They find Watto and the Lars family, including younger versions of Owen and Beru. Anakin's traumatic reunion with his mother was actually part of Palpatine's manipulations. See, the Tusken Raiders were actually paid to kidnap Shmi by Dooku at the orders of Sidious, something that was meant to be revealed in Revenge of the Sith before it was removed. So all according to Palpatine's plan, Anakin goes apeshit on the Tusken Raiders. Actually, the Star Wars Legends novel, Tatooine Ghost, suggests that Anakin's slaughter is passed into Tusken folklore as a kind of ghost story. And Yoda senses this violence. Anakin! Anakin! No! 
you're hearing the voice of Qui-Gon Jinn there. The Clone Wars animated series explains that Qui-Gon is one of the first Jedi to access the spiritual realm of the Force, and it's believed that he was present during Anakin's slaughter of the Tusken Raiders as a Force ghost trying to talk him down from his rage. And then back in the farm's garage, in the background are Luke's land speeder from A New Hope and an early version of the T-16 Skyhopper that Luke flies, and Anakin rages about how he killed all of the Tusken Raiders. And not just the men, but the women and the children too. They're like animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. Composer John Williams underscores this dark turn by first including the Emperor's theme to reflect Palpatine's corruption of Anakin's soul, and then this gives way to the Imperial March. signal Anakin's coming transformation into Vader as a result of this anger. Obi-Wan pursues Slave 1 to Geonosis. One of the orbiting asteroids is actually designed in the shape of one of those dumb cow-like shocks of Naboo, and Obi-Wan hides by parking his ship on the backside of an asteroid, which is exactly how a young Boba Fett learned this trick when he will later pursue Han through the asteroid field in The Empire Strikes Back. Obi-Wan spies on Count Dooku, who, despite being mentioned in the opening crawl and several times since, only now appears one hour and 16 minutes into the film. He's played by veteran of stage and screen Christopher Lee. So a bit of backstory on Dooku, he was once a Jedi Master who had Qui-Gon Jinn as his apprentice and Yoda as his master. But he became disillusioned with the Jedi Order and left it to reclaim his birthright as Count of Sereno. During his time of exile, he was approached by Sidious, who offered to help him attain more power and rid corruption from the Republic. But like all the apprentices that Sidious has approached over the years, he's really just a tool for him. So after a failed rescue attempt of Obi-Wan in the battle droid factory, Anakin and Padme end up beside him in the execution arena, facing an Ackley, a Reek, and a Nexu, but they're saved by the arrival of the rest of the Jedi, led by Mace Windu and his purple lightsaber. This party's over. Samuel L. Jackson actually had the words bad mother engraved on the hilt as a reference to his wallet in Pulp Fiction. Now, Windu ends up killing Jango Fett, which has a few really interesting details leading up to it. Windu foreshadows his beheading of Jango by first igniting his blade right at Jango's neck. And this happens as Jango is holding his Mandalorian helmet in his hands, which Boba will later do when he mourns him. Notice that the framing also points that blade at Boba's neck too, implying that both Jango's and Boba's deaths will be linked. And indeed, as we saw with Boba Fett in Return of the Jedi, Jango also dies because his jetpack malfunctions. Notice how he tries to take off, but he can't. He's left standing there, a dead man. The Reek trampled him moments before, and Lucas actually added a couple sparks to signal the jetpack's brokenness. And after Windu beheads him, notice that there are two shadows as a Mandalorian helmet flies off, the second shadow for Jango's severed head. The surviving Jedi are saved by the clone troopers, thanks to Senator Binks making the move to grant Chancellor Palpatine emergency war powers. So laugh it up, Fuzzball, Jar Jar was the key to all this. As Dooku flees, he reveals preliminary blueprints for the Death Star. Actually, because of the Death Star's early construction on Geonosis, the Geonosians were exterminated via sterilization ordered by the Emperor, killing all of them off except one named Click Clack. Kinda sucks to be the sole survivor of your species and be named Click Clack. Obi-Wan and Anakin catch up to Dooku, and they approach very patiently. Now! No, Anakin, no! No! Blue and red light flashes across Anakin's face, signaling the moral tug of war between good and evil currently inside him. Anakin gets his arm severed, the first of many body parts that will be replaced by machine as he loses his humanity. But the big showdown arrives with Yoda. Dooku was an apprentice of Yoda himself, and their duel goes through three phases. First, by using the Force to launch and deflect projectiles. Second, with Sith lightning. And third, only when their Force knowledge hits an evenly matched standstill with a lightsaber duel. With Yoda, for the first time ever, revealing that little green 
Beyblade. Hmm, crazy. Yoda only loses by having empathy. He saves the others, and John Williams works in the Yoda theme music from Empire Strikes Back in the moment Yoda lifted Luke's X-Wing from out of the swamp. Dooku rejoins Sidious on Coruscant. Everything is going as planned. And right after this, we see Sidious's alter ego, Palpatine, gazing upon this army like a fascist autocrat, set all to the Imperial March. Like in The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones ended in apparent victory for the good guys, but it's really a victory for evil. The whole conflict between the Republic and the Separatists is false, manufactured and played on both sides by one man posing as two. And while they're not genetic clones, Palpatine and Sidious are metaphorical clones, doppelgangers, who are really behind the attack of this film's title. Also like this film's predecessor, some secrets are hidden in the final scene. Anakin and Padme's secret wedding is a visual homage to the final shot of the other middle installment, Empire Strikes Back, with Anakin and Padme framed alongside R2 and 3PO the same way Luke and Leia were. But John Williams' music sneaks in yet another detail if you're listening closely. Anakin's cybernetic hand holds Padme's hand and open those ears as the frame rises over her midsection. Williams included the softest bass percussion here, giving off the sound of a heartbeat. Now, of course, Padme couldn't yet be pregnant. There are three years between this film and Revenge of the Sith, and only then does she discover her pregnancy. But this heartbeat hints at the promise of what is to come. The real reason these two completely mismatched lovers were brought together. Look, folks, Attack of the Clones in my book is the weakest of the Star Wars films. And it's really just because the romance between Anakin and Padme, it's unwatchable. It's terrible. But this subtle instrumental choice by Williams reminds us that this is all serving the true beating heart that made us fall in love with the Star Wars series. The siblings that the framing of this final shot is deliberately invoking Luke Skywalker and his twin sister Leia. And for that, we are left, at the very least, with hope. How does Attack of the Clones rank among the Star Wars films in your opinion? In my opinion, it's dead last. But comment down below with your thoughts. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at EAVoss and subscribe to our podcast feed, WookieLeaks, for early access to all of our Star Wars content. Thanks for joining me. See you next week. Bye. (laughs) 